Welcome to this week's podcast, Building Blocks of the Indian Economy. I'm your host, Amar Meni. We have talked about seaports, shipping supplies, goods and fuels into and out of India. Today we turn to airports, hubs mainly for people to move in and out of the country, as well as travel at speed domestically from city to city. Most of India's metro airports have undergone some sort of facelift or even been built anew over the past 15 years, and I'm sure we would all agree they are much better experiences for travellers. Delhi's Indra Gandhi International Airport, redeveloped about a decade ago, ranks among the busiest in the world, handling close to 70 million passengers just prior to the pandemic. And India's airports are about to get busier in the decades to come. We are always dazzled by the latest statistic about the number of anticipated flyers and mega-purchases of aircraft by airlines like Air India and Indigo. And we should not forget that travel and tourism contribute about 7% of India's GDP. Tourists are big spenders, after all. So, the obvious question is, is India's airport's infrastructure ready to handle this huge boom in air travel? The figure of over 200 operational airports by 2025 is often projected by the government. It was just 50 in the year 2000 and is currently 130. This is airports of all sorts. At the moment, there are 17 international airports and 66 domestic airports. And if we look at the data, it is domestic travel which dominates India's airports, around 90% of aircraft and passenger movements are domestic. However, for cargo, it is international movements which dominate at over 60% of traffic. This would make sense after all, given that there are more cost-effective substitutes, road and rail particularly. In a bit over 10 years' time, India is expected to have over double the number of flyers. The number will likely touch 480 million. It is the Airports Authority of India under the Ministry of Civil Aviation, which is responsible for airports in India. When government officials say that they need to have over 200 airports in order for India to become a $5 trillion economy, this is a welcome change in thinking. This new mindset understands that India will not be able to develop without adequate infrastructure, and so huge amounts are being spent by both the government and the private sector to develop India's airports. But it is that number which concerns me a bit. See, I don't think that anyone inside government or outside thinks that 200 airports in India will be profitable, or even come close to breaking even. It is the country's biggest airports in the biggest cities which can and should be profitable. But as we move to smaller towns, the places of most of this new airport building, which will take us over the 200 number, the economic viability just does not seem very clear. It was only a decade or so ago that the Airports Authority of India brought the private sector in to build or redevelop India's airports under the Public-Private Partnership Model, PPP. The GMR Group built Hyderabad's airport and redeveloped Delhi's. GVK redeveloped Mumbai. Siemens built Bengaluru. Zurich Airport will now build an airport for Noida. Second airports for Delhi and Mumbai certainly make sense. 
So let us look at the profitability or economic viability of India's airports. First, it should be said that the terms which private airport developers operate under tend to vary across the country and from deal to deal. In Delhi and Mumbai, the deal has been that the private developer would share about 40% of the airport revenue with the Airports Authority of India. Elsewhere, such as Hyderabad, the private company would pay a larger concession fee and then only have to share 4% of the revenues, whilst in Cochin, the private company would pay dividends to the Airports Authority on the basis of its shareholding. So how have these private players been doing over the past few years? Well, coming out of the pandemic, GMR made its reporting a bit clearer for its airports business and declared a healthy profit for its Delhi airport and a tiny one for its Hyderabad airport. Whereas the Mumbai airport, which is now owned by the Adani Group, made a loss recently. Bengaluru also made losses, whilst Cochin made a small profit. Of course, one has to take into account that this is the first post-pandemic year of reporting. But, at least from these privatised airports, the Airports Authority of India has been doing rather well, taking in quite large revenues based on those agreements. It reminds me a bit of the coal sector, the way Coal India Limited gets its revenues nicely from the discoms, who are then stuck with their loss-making operations as they serve the customer with electricity. Of course, if the profitability of India's biggest airports is a bit patchy, then think of the smaller airports, those existing and those which need to get built to meet the 200 number. See, the Airports Authority of India owns and operates a large number of airports besides these big, shiny, glamorous metro airports which it has privatised and earns a good amount from. In fact, it still fully owns and operates both Chennai and Kolkata airports. Chennai has been making losses, whilst Kolkata has recently returned a small profit. But, if one looks down the list of government-owned and operated airports, mainly of the smaller cities that the government wants to expand into, they mainly either make substantial losses or just about break even and turn such small profits that they would not be worth the investment, to a private investor at least. For example, Dehradun lost close to 100 crore rupees, Bhopal and Vadodara about 50 crore rupees each, whilst Leh and Kanpur just about broke even. Now, I have gone into these figures only to make the point that infrastructure expansion, whether airports or anything else, needs to be viable, that is, profitable, at least in the medium to long term. Of course, one can say that the government of India imperative is not always profit, but then we cannot be building airports to reach a magic 200 number, which, like latrines in the villages, will be built, ticked off a list, money spent, and then not used. Unlike the latrines, people will notice airports scattered around India which are not being used. So, there are a number of ways to make the system work. Either metro airport travellers directly subsidise travellers at non-metro airports. This means that their air tickets will become more expensive, and then that charge then goes to an Airports Authority of India fund, which the Airports Authority 
will use to keep these smaller airports in operation. Or, airports could be grouped together. Again, who knew there would be such similarities between the coal industry and airports? But, just like Coal India Limited groups its mines and makes large amounts of money from just a few mines and either loses money or just breaks even from the majority of its mines, but overall turns a profit as a group, airports could be grouped by region. For example, Mumbai Airport is a cash cow grouped with smaller airports in Maharashtra and Gujarat. The group should be able to turn a profit from the revenue of Mumbai and Navi Mumbai, whilst incurring small losses from an airport like Badodra. In order for this model to work, of course, ownership would have to be standardised. That way metro travellers would not have to subsidise non-metro travellers. In order for this model to work, of course, ownership would have to be standardised across the group. However, as we have seen, we have been moving in the opposite direction, with ownership increasingly fragmented. Is this some lovely economic model which could never happen in real life? Well, there has been an interesting development of late. Maybe this model is taking shape, but in a somewhat accidental, or at least unplanned manner. The Adani Group, previously known for their expertise in ports and energy, just before the pandemic hit, decided to get into the airport business. They did so by buying up the existing owner of the Mumbai airport, GVK, and then as a result acquired the right to develop the Navi Mumbai airport. Of course, it was not great timing, but the group is big enough and thinks long-term enough to bear the losses of a two-year pandemic. But not content with only Mumbai and Navi Mumbai, the group also won the right to develop a string of airports in smaller cities, such as Lucknow, Jaipur, Tiruvananthapuram, Mangaluru, Guwahati and Ahmedabad, all on long-term leases such as 50 years. As we have seen previously, the Airports Authority of India would ask for a share of the airport revenue, or a dividend on its equity, or a huge concession fee and a smaller share of the revenue. With these airports, however, it did something very different. It just asked for a fee per passenger. The operator would then be free to revenue maximise to the best of its ability above that fixed per passenger fee. Now the Adani Group bid many multiples of this per passenger fee more than their rivals and won the contracts. So the Adani Group went from no interest in India's airport infrastructure to the biggest private player in barely a year. But they may have just stumbled into the economic model I proposed a little earlier. One or two big cash-rich airports subsidising or propping up smaller loss-making or break-even airports. Mumbai propping up its group airport, Jaipur for example. Overall, the group would still return healthy profits. Not just that, but the government would like to replicate the model with many of the smaller airports it owns. Could it divide them into groups, attaching them to a metro airport, and give them on a 50 or 60 or 100 year lease to the private operator? Perhaps creating four or five groups owned or controlled by different private players. This might be a more sustainable model than the current haphazard approach. 
Now, whilst Adani's investment in Mumbai's airport makes perfect economic sense, the desire to take on these smaller airports, which could return tiny profits, if at all, seems a bit less intuitive. But when I was reading through the Adani representative's statements on the topic, he did use one interesting phrase, hub and spoke. Now, we have largely thought of airports moving people in out and around India. But what about cargo? Whilst we read pleasing statistics about India being the third largest aviation market, with 400 million passengers soon enough, we do not read too much about India accounting for just about 2% of the world's air cargo. So, part of the Adani thinking seems to be creating hub-and-spoke airports to concentrate more on cargo particularly at these smaller airports. That is, transporting things rather than people. But for that, several things need to fall into place. The airlines have to be interested in handling this cargo. For that, there needs to be the opportunity. And for that, there needs to be supply of cargo coming out of India and demand for cargo coming into India. I say this because it is international cargo traffic which dominates the field not domestic. For that, there needs to be less red tape and more back-end infrastructure connecting Indian suppliers to these airports, and ease of bringing goods into India by air. India's international trade needs to be vibrant, it needs to be booming. Now, the government has been moving in this direction, certainly aiming to reduce the red tape, and has even provided subsidies, particularly in the Northeast, for the movement of agricultural produce. But, really, there should not be too much of a need for subsidies. Ideally, airports, particularly the smaller ones coming up, should be as closely connected to centres of economic activity as possible, allowing suppliers to send their goods as seamlessly as possible abroad. This potential model of a group of regional airports, with one cash owner making the group viable, and a focus on cargo rather than people, at the smaller airports, seems the only way we might see all those over 200 proposed airports buzzing with activity, rather than empty, ghost airports in the years to come.